0: Welcome to episode one five one of Blockchain Insider. My name is Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by the co-host Kai Sheffield, head of Crypto at Visa. How are you doing, Kai? I'm excited. So much to talk about. So many
1: things happening in crypto. Let's let's get into it.
0: Well, before we get into everything happening in crypto, you you did a thing again. You got to stop this, man. Like uh, you got an, an announcement. Tell us all about it.
1: Well, we're excited to publicly announce the. Visa, you know, global crypto advisory practice uh, that, you know, we've been working on for you know many months now. And really the context here is we've spent the past three years really becoming a bridge between crypto companies and our network of 80 million merchants. And so we've been partnering with you know, major crypto wallets and exchanges, helping with fiat on ramps and off ramps. And now we're really expanding, focusing on how can we become a bridge between our existing clients and large banks and the crypto ecosystem. And so, you know, we've just fielded you know, the, the number of calls we're getting from banks increases every week, and they just wanna learn and figure out you know, how can they get involved? You know, what impact will crypto have on their business? And so we're starting to engage and work very closely with them, helping them understand market trends, helping them build crypto teams, you know, develop a strategy, and then be able to to execute against that. So as we've talked about on this show many times, we think every bank should have a a crypto strategy and you know Visa's here to help. And so it's been really fun to get to engage with some of these really large financial institutions, you know, to help them get into this space.
0: Yeah, we see the same at 11FS as well. There are so many ships lost in the fog, but so much good ambition. Uh, There's going to be so much more of this uh, in the near future, I'm sure. Everybody should have a play with crypto and everybody should have a strategy, that's for sure. All right, um, there's so much to talk about on today's news show, so let's dive right in. Uh, Today, we're going to cover MetaMask surpassing 21 million monthly active users, uh, crypto service MoonPay raising $555 million, and we're also going to talk about about NFTs being the Collins Dictionary word of the year. And to dig into this, I am joined by some incredible guests, uh, starting up with Curtis Ting, who is Managing Director of EMEA for Kraken. How are you doing, Curtis? Good to have you. Hey, Simon. How's it going? Hey, Kai. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and Kraken for those that don't know. Yeah, for sure. For
2: sure. Um, so I run Kraken's uh, business in Europe, Middle East and Africa. Uh, Kraken's been around for a long time. Uh, we're one of the largest, oldest crypto exchanges globally. Uh, one of the most exciting things that we get to keep doing is to both, you know, facilitate and help build uh, crypto adoption uh, at scale. The industry is just way too exciting, and uh, and it's great to it's great to be here with you guys today.
0: Great to be on the frontier. Uh, Amber Balde, co-founder and CEO of Clover. Welcome back to the show. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, tell everybody about you and Clover.
3: Hi, great to be here and good to speak with you again. Um, let's see, I'm I'm calling in from my six year old's bedroom um, because my entire house is under construction, and this is the only room that doesn't sound like jackhammers right now. So, that's exciting. Clovers doing well. Uh, we are a startup that helps people and businesses build, share, find, and use apps that treat you better. And what that means in general is all that Web three stuff that we're hearing more and more about. Uh, we've been building ways to reduce the friction of running infrastructure for that down to zero so that people can make choices based on all these cool apps and not based on where they run and make decentralized things actually decentralized.
0: Mm-hmm, uh, exciting times. And last but not least, Hasib Awan is founder and CEO of Ifani and co-founder of BitAccess. Uh, Hassan, tell us a little bit more about you, BitAccess and Ifani as well.
4: Uh, absolutely, thank you uh, for having me. I'm Hasib Awan, I run a cell phone company a pretty boring company in the space. We work with all the important people in crypto to secure their cell phones from SIM and other kind of attacks. Uh, so we are like any any major exchange in America. Pretty much all the major funds are our customers, um, and that's what we do. In the past, I built one of the first and largest Bitcoin ATM operations. We started building Bitcoin ATM in 2013, uh, for which Visa blocked my card. Uh, I'm just telling you, my PayPal I cannot still function because I was selling Bitcoin for PayPal. On PayPal, so I can't still use it. But yeah, that's my history in crypto uh, that we uh, allowed millions and millions of people to buy Bit- their first Bitcoin through ATM. And now I just help them secure it.
0: Uh-huh. Moving from the person that sells it to the person that secures it, it's a good, it's a good uh, move. And it, Sims are still so important to everybody when SMSs are a big part of what we do. Uh, so long may it be secure. And speaking of things that uh, need to be nice and secure, the first story this week uh, is about MetaMask, uh, the uh, Web3 wallet, has surpassed 21 million monthly active users. As part of uh, Consensus, have also raised. Uh, consensus, the company behind MetaMask, has raised two hundred million million dollars to make quote web 3 universally easy to use access and build on Um, and of course metamask if you haven't used it is the wallet aka a browser extension or mobile app that allows you to use a bunch of decentralized applications metamask is considered is is the dominant and primary uh, way that nearly uh M- millions of people uh 21 million monthly it seems uh access these web3 applications which is a 38x increase from 2020 um and there are consensus are estimating that there's about 3700 unique web3 applications that number seems low to me but kai um contextualize this for me uh 21 million monthly active users. Um, it's not as many people who have, have mobile phones, but it's a lot more than nothing. W- where do you think we are in this journey?
1: Yeah, I think the other fascinating thing is it at least feels like you know people who are active users of MetaMask, you know, they're using the MetaMask wallet many more times than they're likely using other financial institutions that they have. And I feel like you know the number of transactions that are happening on public blockchain networks, you know, between NFTs, between DeFi. It's like these wallets are becoming more of browsers. And so one of the things I'm really interested to see is, you know, are we going to have a world where there are as many non-custodial wallets as there are, you know, custodial wallets and traditional financial institutions? Or is there going to be this consolidation where there are only a handful of really large popular browsers today? And so, is is MetaMask going to be like a, a Chrome or Firefox that just becomes this interface a lot of people use? So uh, maybe Amber, I'd I love your perspective as as you've been following you know Web three from the beginning. You know, how do you think about you know MetaMask's role and you know what the market for Web three wallets is going to look like over time?
3: Well, oh, thanks for asking. Um, let's see. I mean, I, I think it's interesting how pivotal MetaMask has become um, to the at least Ethereum based and then the, the broader kind of basket of coins and integrations they're supporting um, ecosystem and that, you know, combined with Infura, uh, both of which are consensus projects. I think they um, almost all transactions of that ecosystem pass through one of those two services. Uh, I think that it's great to have success stories and that that's a good thing to demonstrate that we can build successful businesses and and teams Um, probably not great to have monopolies. So I'd actually love to see there be more competitors for, for both of those projects. Uh, you mentioned that uh, that MetaMask is kind of like becoming this browser, and I'd actually like to, th- to say that it's interesting that MetaMask functions as a browser plugin. Um, browser plugins have an incredible amount of access to your traffic and browsing history, not just while you're using that application, but just anything on the web. Um, and so uh, the trust that we're placing in that company with the way that they're using the data they receive is immense. um, And we should continue to pay attention to that.
0: Well said. Um, might be worth uh, throwing to Hasib here, like on that security side of, you know, one of the things that uh, Web3 wallets are often put in, and there are other ones, Coinbase has one, Rainbow.me, there are, uh, Phantom Wallet is starting to emerge as well. Um, and there's sort of this digital authority as a manager, you know, you sign with uh, PKI, you're making these assertions to this global public network, but you're doing it in a way that, as, as Amber says, maybe, may maybe, needs to be watched closely what are your thoughts?
4: Uh, I think if you look at the MetaMask right like I use MetaMask more than my mobile banking app and that's a a lot of people right like we were talking about uh, the reason I'm comparing bitcoins in the uh, ATM is that we believe that would people have more crypto accounts or people will have more uh, bank accounts you know it's like the same analogy of like you know do people need a bank account anymore if they can just lick their credit card and have a usdt wallet if they don't trust or any kind of usdc or whatever you want the security the problem in crypto this exist, exist metamask uh we get almost like a maybe five to six complaints per week of someone getting clicking a phishing link connecting their wallet and basically executing a uh, transaction and that's pretty common because no one reads the the contract right like you know people click on it uh so i think uh Person obviously, there's a security risk around it, but the ease and convenience is so simple that people are, uh, once you get hopped onto MetaMask on any kind of Web 3.0 wallet, uh, it's so simple to use, it's so beautiful to use that you don't need any other financial app,
0: literally. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's 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 fundamentally reoriented where how how I interact with finance like I, the the money used to sit in an account somewhere else and I had to access it and try and network those things together whereas this is the other way around. it's more like a leather wallet I hold on to this and permission other services and applications to use it I take my authority to the application rather than um, it sort of existing inside of the application and me being granted access to it which is which is a different mental model that's kind of kind of important. And uh, worth worth thinking through, uh, Curtis. I'm interested in in your perspectives as you know part of one of the largest exchanges in the world. Do you see user demand to move towards decentralized wallets, and and how do you think about some of the trade offs uh, across all of that?
2: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see you know uh, a centralized, like a historically central approach to finance and and how people maintain uh, their ownership of value uh, start to share. The ecosystem with decentralized uh, alternatives and solutions. Uh, I think for Kraken, you know, and certainly, you know, not speaking for all the centralized exchanges, it's pretty clear uh, there is a coexistence because um, not all things should be centralized. Uh, and so, you know, Kraken, we we just like some of our counterpart exchanges, we invest rather heavily uh, in in DeFi projects uh, that we're really excited about as well. I think it's it's important though uh, to. To note that, you know, a lot of these DeFi solutions are based still on, you know, only one or two uh, blockchains that are themselves like, you know, truly scalable. Um, And one of the things that we're starting to, you know, take note of, uh, especially, you know, with all of the excitement uh, coming in uh, with respect to NFTs, is simply the fact that, you know, for example, MetaMask, right? I mean, it's an Ethereum wallet that like 80% of NFT activity is still happening on Ethereum. And to the extent that a lot of this decentralized ecosystem still relies rather heavily on on-chain activity, um, throughput is becoming an issue. Uh, you know, these transactions, sometimes fees are getting over $100 per transaction uh, for primarily, you know, Ethereum-based NFT Interaction and engagement. So, you know, it'll be curious to see how the space scales in general. Uh, That's always been a challenge with decentralized solutions, Um, but it's a good problem, not a bad one.
1: It it feels like that that the scalability is also potentially an opportunity for new wallets to come into the space. I know I've struggled, you know, using MetaMask. You know, it's amazing that you can use it across many different networks. You can use MetaMask on Polygon, on Avalanche, on Arbitrum. But the interface isn't really designed specifically for that. You kind of have to switch which network you're on. and, and I, I feel like you know one of the next steps is you know how can you know these non-custodial wallets be very well optimized for a layer two experience um, and be able to to make it you know seamless to use the applications that are are built on top of. So I'm really interested to see both can they move from desktop to mobile, which is another interesting thing of, Today, a lot of DeFi and NFTs, like, I use my desktop computer and my browser extension because it's much easier than using it on mobile. And so we're still in this very early, feels like, dial-up phase, and we haven't gotten to broadband and mobile. And so I'm curious what others think of, will MetaMask be able to make that transition to supporting the new networks and mobile interfaces in the same way that they've had success on desktop?
3: I think that one cool thing you can do with MetaMask is you can connect it to your own node if you go into advanced settings, uh, as long as that has an internet uh, accessible URL. And so by running that, for example, on a web host in the cloud, you could connect your MetaMask to your own node and then still be accessing um, and passing information through your own node from a mobile application. Uh, And that's something that we don't see a lot with mobile apps where you're generally handing off your connection to some uh, intermediary third party. So it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think there's like this tension of expert mode versus uh, easy mode that a lot of the wallets are, are in the stages of trading off and security versus privacy versus the ability, as you say, to increasingly decentralize and manage your own OPSEC. Uh, and of course, MetaMask supports some of the hardware wallets that are also out there. Um, but again, the level of expert mode that you need to get to for most people is is still not necessarily there. Uh, and it feels like we're early and the fact that there are competitors is really, really, really compelling. Um, I'm sure we could talk about wallets forever. I think they're one of the most under-discussed topics in, in all of crypto. Um, but I do have to uh, keep us moving. So I'm going to read out the next story, and I'd love the thoughts of, of everybody on this one. So crypto payment service, MoonPay, raises $555 million from from uh, Kochu and Tiger. Um, this round values them at more than $3.4 billion. Um, and of course, MoonPay, if you haven't used it, allows people to pay for crypto and digital assets or nfts via a card via Apple pay or even open banking uh, if you've ever used OpenSea, you've probably used moon pay if you didn't um just sort of if you want to use your, your card right there the company was previously bootstrapped and profitable generating 150 million dollars in net revenue this year. Um, but the funding will be used to scale up its crypto payments ambitions, driving mainstream adoption of digital assets and NFTs.
4: It's all about like adoption, right? Like what can always about when you build a startup, like why can't Visa does it? I think it looks pretty simple for Visa to just turn it on. But right now there's always like, you know, I think there will be, not be one single player. So now does Moonpay replaces Visa or Visa replaces Moonpay? That's the question that, okay, you know, that can they become big, much bigger that people are now only looking for, like crypto becomes the predominant currency and Visa or like, you know, credit card become a very small transaction. Um, so I think uh, uh, there'll be like probably 10 other companies who will basically raise at the same valuations and same in the coming weeks. Uh, I think that credit card is still a bigger part of our life and it will not disappear for the next 10 years at least. Um, so, uh, bravo! Because when we were running Bitcoin companies earlier on, frankly, there were like, uh, what would be the round? Half a million dollars, one million dollars, and if you go to bigger companies like you know, like Visa or any kind of. Sorry, Kai, I'm asking Visa again because you're in front of me. But like, if you go to companies, they will not even entertain your idea of having a crypto. But this capital allowed them to go into deeper integration and talk to merchant and acquire companies, which will help them solidify their position in the
0: market. Yeah, they're in an interesting spot, aren't they, Kai? Like, I almost imagine them as being what uh, PayPal was originally to eBay, uh, that sort of first big marketplace and that first big payments type. This is uh, Moonpay is to OpenSea. Is that too simplistic?
1: I think that makes sense. And it's been you know, really exciting for us to see that they're driving increased usage of cards as an on-ramp into crypto. And you know, I feel like you know, a, a year ago or so, the dominant mode of on-ramping, you know, you would buy on a you know, centralized custodial exchange, and you might use ACH or wire, and then you would withdraw the crypto that you bought on the custodial exchange to your non-custodial wallet. Now, what MoonPay is doing is making it much easier inside of the non-custodial wallet, inside the NFT platform or the DApp you want to interact with. Now, you can purchase you know, crypto directly with a card that arrives you know, at your wallet. And so I think they've been able to you know, really cater to this next generation crypto developer ecosystem, the same way that Stripe was able to provide services to mobile you know, app developers and other new e-commerce developers. If you're building a DAP, you know, MoonPay, Wire, Ramp, you know, they've been able to have these really interesting businesses. And part of it is because they're also serving as the merchant of record. You know, because you know a lot of the Uh, companies building crypto products, they're non-custodial. You know, they don't want to manage consumer funds or or do KYC and compliance. And so it's like MoonPay is kind of its own, you know, custodial exchange that is just embedded inside, you know, hundreds of different non-custodial wallets and and apps for different use cases. And so, uh, Curtis, I'm curious how how you think about, you know, cards as an on-ramp, you know, into crypto and the role that that MoonPay and consumers going directly to MoonPay is playing versus people going to Kraken purchasing and then withdrawing to a, a non-custodial wallet.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, Kai. Um- yeah, so when I look at MoonPay, it's super interesting, right? Uh, I I see it as a really interesting example and a really cool one for the industry of, of the maturity of how the of, of how the ecosystems infrastructure is is starting to play out. It's really not unlike, for example, uh, what we're what we've seen in traditional banking over the years. I mean, you know, it's it's not like every single bank runs their own back end and we're starting to see consolidation on the infrastructural layer, you know, below below MoonPay. You know, so, for example, you know, uh, MoonPay, uh, not unlike many other uh, similar offerings, you know, utilizes uh, ZeroHash quite a bit. Um, which provides a lot of that sort of back office powering, which then allows MoonPay in turn to focus more on that last mile delivery, connecting to uh, you know to to MoonPay's integrations, providing very delightful client experience, and and really being able to optimize for those integrations to OpenSea and, and other and other marketplaces. And so, really, it's it's kind of a success story, I think, for for you know the evolving the evolving reality that exchanges don't necessarily, you know, brokers exchanges don't necessarily need to build the entire stack anymore. Uh and that there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained from, you know, underlying infrastructural providers uh, that allow MoonPay and, and similar to to be able to focus on on the things that actually move adoption.
0: It's interesting Curtis, you mentioned Zero hash. We actually had them on uh, the the founder on a couple of episodes ago and uh, I think they're in an interesting spot building tools for people. But Amber, I know this is a subject near and dear to your heart making web 3 more accessible. but it's always a, a trade off this accessibility versus you know privacy and and, and uh, security in that space.
3: Sure I mean Moonpay offers ledger integration which I think is a plus I take a different angle on on responding here to this question because I think one thing that uh, Kraken and Moonpay have in common for me as a New York resident is that I'm not allowed to access either. <laughs> so um, maybe with some of that crazy uh, half a billion dollars they raised, someone can get a bit license.
0: That'd be pretty great. And, and I think it does speak to some of the regulatory challenges that that we see consistently in this space. Um, but again, yeah, that's uh, the, the joy of moving from being bootstrapped and profitable to, to having that funding. Uh, we're going to see people bump into the regulators time and time again. Um, Kai, this is something that we've talked about in, a, in our big bank show as well, like the global regulatory picture is hard. And if you're going to be a global acquiring business, you you need to keep that in mind. I think Amber's tongue was firmly in the cheek, but it makes a good point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, because the services that MoonPay is integrated into are very global by nature, you know, these non-custodial wallets and DeFi platforms, you know, the challenge is, you know, how can you support on-ramps in the 100 Plus, countries that many of these uh, wallets have users in, and yeah, you know, I think you know we're going to see many different approaches of you know different payment rails, different acquirers, and that's a it's a pretty complicated you know, payments business. That it's usually a one large global corporation has a whole team that has to try and optimize you know for rails to support that, and now you know they have to be able to to provide these services for. You know three-person crypto startups that you know, started at a hackathon but now have customers all over the world
0: Haseeb, did you see that um they're also looking at uh working with a lot of stars and celebrities to help them buy an nft so jimmy fallon used them to buy his first nft and they've been kind of quietly doing that behind the scenes. Do you think this concierge role is important for the adoption of crypto, or is it sort of getting too far away from what uh, crypto and Web3 was supposed to be about?
4: Uh, So adoption is never like binary. It's not like, you know, you say either you are totally maximalist and you say, I will not use anything that's linked to anything centralized. I think a concierge service exists, like, you know, uh, in every industry. In our industry, every industry, there is a concierge service. So I think it's good, right? Like a lot of people may not comfortable having a MetaMask. It's best for them to teach them how to do that and then let them take custody. So I think that's a very good idea about like, you know, when you're making a purchase of uh, like a $10 million, $15 million, you need actually someone to help walk you through. Because what happens if no one walks, they lose money and that it makes a bad PR. So I'm kind of very against the people who say, oh, every bank, every central exchange is, is... basic garbage. No, we need people like Kraken, Coinbase, and Gemini, and all those exchanges, Binance, which can actually onboard customers and give them ability to secure money.
0: I think there's a really good point underneath that, Hasib, which is on-ramps are not just technical. Sometimes it's community, it's people, it's education, it's it's all of that sort of stuff, uh, which is which is so, so critical to, to kind of getting into this space. Uh, listeners, we are just going to take a quick pause here whilst we hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back very, very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like Fintech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto.
2: Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve and Soldo and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a pulse demo.
1: So welcome back for the second half of the show. We're starting with Jack Dorsey's Square is now Block. And so only a few days since stepping down as Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey and and Square announced they are rebranding, renaming to Block. And this new name reflects the broader scope of the company's business, which now includes the personal payment service cash app, the music service title, and a new crypto-based open developer platform all right, Bitcoin based, I should say. Uh, it calls TBD. So Amber would would love your thoughts on Square's approach to the space, their focus on Bitcoin, and now this this rebrand. You know, how do you feel about their long term vision and, and the role that they're playing in the Bitcoin community today?
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I guess I can give myself a pat on the back uh, to start. <laughs> You know, I think that when I uh, got to testify to Congress back in 2019, um, Cash App is one of the examples that I included as something that would drive mass adoption of um, Bitcoin amongst people who did not go out looking for it and looking for a dedicated wallet for that. Um, and so to see that strategy continue and to see them double down on it in, within Square, now Block, is, is interesting and meaningful. What I'd really like to call out, though, on this story, though, is that there's two other related groups at Twitter, uh, Blue Sky, that they recently launched to do decentralized social media, um, that's being led uh, by Jack Graber, who used to be at the Zcash Zcash company, which is now called Bootstrap. Um, And then also Twitter's internal crypto team, uh, which they just hired a new lead, Tess Reinerson. Formerly, I think of uh, Cosmos and Chain, if I'm correct. Uh, And so both of those women leading those organizations, I'm really curious to or I would love to be a fly on the wall and know what they think about Jack's departure in relation to these major initiatives that both just got stood up but are staying under the Twitter umbrella while he's kind of like, you know, skipping off to Cash App and Square and
0: Block. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Uh, Twitter, I think, recently announced support for profile pics uh, NFTs via Ethereum, which is sort of moving away from where Jack Dorsey's been headed, which is very sort of Bitcoin centric. Um, it's it's one worldview, and it's not the only worldview, and maybe we need many different of them. But um, Curtis, what do you think the the role of uh, the artist formerly known as Square now known as Block has been for crypto, uh, and what would it be under this new guise?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think we'd be remiss uh, to talk about Squares rebranding uh, to block uh, without also noting, you know, this is coming right on the heels of Facebook rebranding itself into Meta. Um, you know, I think it points to the multifaceted and more open nature of, you know, what these companies uh, are starting to think of when it comes to figuring out, like, how do they develop products that, you know, uh, that, that serve a multiplicity of, of, of people beyond their original visions. Um, But probably more importantly, it's an interesting contrast because, you know, the thing that Square really did for Bitcoin uh, early on was really telling about, you know, Dorsey's view, I think, as a whole of the industry. You know, they hired dedicated Bitcoin uh, developers, uh, it's it's an interesting contract to Facebook, you know, which with quite a bit of resourcing, you know, sought to essentially remake, uh, you know, re- remake a blockchain, remake an ecosystem in, in sort of Facebook's vision. So I, I expect that Square probably, you know, the name may change, but the approach uh, hopefully continues to be consistent, which is, you know, Invest in the invest in the ecosystem. Be a contributor, as opposed to try to remake it.
0: It's interesting, Kai, that um, so much of what the announcement around Block was was around economic empowerment. Um, so uh, they're talking about uh, sort of title the music service being for creators. Cash App increasingly moving towards the creator space. Um, can this be can compatible with uh, with kind of. Uh, Bitcoin and everything going on there, or do you think this is just uh, one of many approaches? I,
1: I think they're, that's definitely very relevant to the role that Cash App has played as being, you know, one of the easiest ways for people to buy Bitcoin. I think there are many people who are able to get into this asset class, you know, over the past few years and able to do so, you know, spending a dollar or ten dollars or you know, dollar cost averaging small amounts. And so I think they've been able to be this on ramp, and and they've really embraced culture. I feel like that's one of the things I've been really impressed about Square is and, and Cash App specifically is because they've they've become a cultural brand. They've been able to, to partner you know closely with you know musicians and, and artists. And I think Bitcoin has been a, a big piece of that. I'm interested how you know they evolve around non-custodial products because Cash App today is is a custodial wallet. They let you withdraw, but it seems like there's some real ambition for the longer term around, you know, the the non-custodial, you know, decentralized exchange concept they have with TBD. And, you know, as they expand outside the United States, you know, Jack talks a lot about the importance of, you know, holding your own keys and, and you know, having that self-sovereignty. So, Haseeb, how do you think about, do you expect Square to, you know, embrace non-custodial models and be successful, you know, creating a, you know, first-class customer experience, you know, on some of the, the, the non-custodial wallet, you know, infrastructure that exists today.
4: Uh, absolutely, like I'll give you a simple example about like uh, the earnings, like MetaMask is, uh, whenever you talk about open, so open like decentralized, people think there's no business model there. It's all done for charity. No, that's not, actually they, these companies do make a lot of money uh, by on the fees and everything. Uh, I think Square uh, is poised to be like a leader in crypto. Uh, because they made a lot of money on Tidal. Tidal is linked to NFTs and royalties and everything. That's all about it. Uh, they have merchandise all across the world. I don't know the number, but they're one of the biggest merchants Uh, in this space. So if you're talking about specifically around Jack Dorsey, he's a very uh proponent of crypto and everything. That's what probably he, he left, uh think. So I personally believe that Square will certainly go into Web 3.0, but because look at Jack, he talks about sovereignty, he talks about decentralization, he talks about uh, everyone should have control of his own data. So absolutely, I think they will come in and the brand around Jack Dorsey is so high, it's so big that he will attract a lot of users. Now, would I ever surpass MetaMask? I don't know. But certainly, there's a lot of room for other players to come in and you guys talk about better interface, they will probably make a better interface.
0: Kai, I'm interested in this space for a couple of reasons. I think it was Curtis that pointed out that, you know, we've seen groups, Alphabet, aka Google, Meta, aka Facebook, and these group restructurings and renamings are... To me, the measure of them is like how much contribution comes from the new business lines. Alphabet can make a real claim because they have uh, the uh, Google Cloud platform that sits as a different part of their ad revenue business. So they are more of a group structure. Um, but you know, Facebook, are they really going to get away from advertising? Whereas would Jack Dorsey double down and pivot? Well. He has previous on this, like Square was becoming quite a, a significant merchant ecosystem in, you know, after they'd gone public in 2015, 16, 17, uh, and he was doubling down on Cash App and people didn't believe in Cash App, the public markets didn't like it, you can go back and check those earning reports, but he played the long game and he consistently has the conviction to keep investing over multiple years. So that's, I think, a trend that we can see. But also Cash App and and Square are very much a US phenomenon. Like you travel outside of the US and you do not see Cash App anyway. They, they tried to enter the UK, didn't have much luck. Like it is hard expanding markets. So maybe this is is as as you say a way to start looking at um, infrastructure and rails that get you into other markets. But entering other markets isn't just a case of like having different infrastructure. It's often knowing what people trust, knowing what people will accept, having boots on the ground. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch uh what happens next with this one for, for sure kai
1: absolutely i think amber you you had a comment on this as well
3: yeah um i i think that you guys are both correct to call out the business model as being an important um driver in potentially opening up connections to more uh decentralized exchanges and allowing off-ramping and you know i also want to Keep myself honest and point out when uh, maybe I am wrong. <laughs> because I think the last time that I talked with you, Simon, um, I we were talking about Cash App and Square back then. They were in the news that, that same week. And uh, I had mentioned what was concerning to me was that without the ability to off ramp, they're, they're a central point of information um, and this hub that's getting a lot, a lot of data and a lot of de anonymizing data about people's transactions. And that was extremely concerning. So since then, Allowing people to off-ramp was a real, um, I don't know what the opposite of a, a red flag is, <laughs> but, but it's, it's a good, it's a move in the right direction. And I think we need to keep paying attention to the business model and how they're monetizing this and where the money goes um, to ensure that these are products we want to support. But like, fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, I think this progression of custodial wallet only, you can't withdraw funds, to now you can withdraw to so then, you know, maybe there's a new step of a pure non-custodial wallet. You know, it definitely feels like the vision is—you know—they believe in non-custodial financial services, uh, which is unique for for a company square size to, to really take a principled stance. Uh, I think you have to respect you know the, the long term vision that that they're taking.
0: One hundred percent. Keep thinking long term, guys. Uh, If you start centralized, you can always uh, decentralize later, or at least let's hope you can if you keep that long game going. Um, All right. The next story uh, comes from Crypto Slate, but it was about the Bank of England chief expressing concern over El Salvador's Bitcoin experiment. So speaking at Cambridge University on Thursday, uh, Andrew Bailey said he's really concerned about the citizens of El Salvador because he said the move to adopt Bitcoin as a dual currency system could potentially impact consumers with volatility um, and it could also have uh, other dangers like people being subject to fraud and uh, ransomware attacks and and other such things. He's also uh, in the past uh, used the argument that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. So, there's probably two things here Amber I, I want to come to you on this there's like Andrew Bailey's comments and there's El Salvador um have I don't know which which of these you want to want to look into but uh, but what are your thoughts on this story
3: My thoughts are that since I no longer represent JP Morgan I do not need to spend my time being concerned about what central bankers are hand wringing and pearl clutching about this week, I-,
0: I hear that. So, what about El Salvador adopting Bitcoin? Any thoughts there?
3: Concerning, <laughs> um, you know, it it, it really depends uh, how these uh, policies are implemented. From a and like if we were writing this as a technical spec, there's a big difference between the words would, should, and must. Um, And so seeing how these uh, are rolled out with what vendors and citizens could do, should do, and must do will determine um, probably both how successful they are, but um, how much the uh, information and control really uh, resides with the state still.
0: Curtis, there was a statement from Andrew Bailey as well that said um, cryptocurrencies could be interesting in the uh, context of a stable currency. Um, obviously, as a as an exchange, you've got quite a bit of experience with stable coins. Do you think uh, central banks are starting to think a little bit differently and start to see shades of grey and nuance in, in the crypto space more and more?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. So you know, it's 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 been really interesting uh, here in Europe to to see that. Uh, discussion developing. Um, you're also starting to see beyond central banks, uh, you know the government apparatus is starting to lay the groundwork. Uh, the markets of crypto assets framework that's coming online in just a couple of years, which will be the law uh, across Europe, for example, um, departing from the UK for a moment. Uh, is really really uh, prescriptive about stablecoins. Clearly, trying to lay the groundwork for the eventual deployment of CBDCs. Similarly, uh, you know, in the UK, you're starting to see, you know, the FCA and, and other regulators, uh, you know, start to take a really close look at uh, current stablecoin offerings, primarily through the lens of AML law. Uh, but but it's it's really going from there. Uh, it's also been fascinating to observe some of the discussions about what models of stablecoins. Uh, are going to be permitted in the context of CBDCs going forward. You know, right now it really spans the gamut, everything from private issuance, so stablecoins as we pretty much know it, uh, to to central bank issued only. Uh, the jury's kind of still out on uh, on which model is going to be most viable and most scalable.
1: Yeah, it it feels like there's just this this real contrast between you know top down you know government you know planned and mandated. Uh, payment services uh, versus you know bottom up you know market based you know competitive approaches and whether it's Bitcoin or CBDC, there's a lot of new infrastructure. And we've talked about this on on previous shows. You know, you can't just write a, a bill and a law and you know now everyone's ready to use Bitcoin. It's a lot of education that has to happen. A lot of companies that have to be able to manage custody and you know have new fraud and, and risk tools. Um, And you know that doesn't happen overnight, and it's very hard for a government to coordinate that and handle it all themselves. So I'm really interested to see can you know and does El Salvador embrace more of an open ecosystem of service providers that come in and offer you know competitive products that support Bitcoin, or is it entirely the you know government wallet that they offer and you know, what does this look like with stablecoins versus CBDC, where it's very clear there's a lot of infrastructure being built out and integrations happening for stablecoins, you know, it's much easier to be able to uh, you know let the market decide you know, which networks, which products people want to use, than to try and pick one and, and design the whole economy around it.
0: There was a really interesting statement, I think, both by the Bank of England research team, who often, if you really read their reports, say a lot between the lines. Um, that, uh, And I think also the Bank of International Settlements have, have said words to this effect as well, which is um, central bankers are Faced with a choice of trying to become technology companies or trying to build really um, complex, nuanced uh, regulations around a space that's still emerging. Uh, but they're trying to do it potentially to build better, faster, cheaper payments rails. Um, but uh, mm-hmm in a positive case. In a negative case, it's purely defensive. It's purely to retain monetary sovereignty. Uh, and actually, many stable coins, I don't believe, are trying to prevent monetary sovereignty. Uh, so as you look at um, uh, sort of uh, the the USDC, USDT, like they're, they're dollar-based in, in that case. So the dollar's probably not under threat. But if you think about this in Nigeria and you think about the Naira, then you know would citizens there rather have the dollar or the naira they'd probably rather have the dollar because it's a little bit more stable and a little less volatile uh, so the central bank has launched the e naira uh, as a central bank digital currency but it comes only with the government wallet as as you say kai so um, i don't think we've seen the last of this yet uh, so many of the reactions are localized and uh, sort of based on uh, the problems in the market, the challenges in those markets. And uh, I think this one's gonna gonna run and run. Uh, Haseeb, thoughts on um, sort of uh, El Salvador and uh, Bitcoin?
4: Uh, yeah, full disclosure, we work with them uh, on cell phone security, so I'm a bit biased there. But I can tell you one thing that a lot of people think, oh, again, it has to be like totally one way or other way. You know, if government control wallet, like, you know, that's happening, so it's a good step. Uh, because I'm from Pakistan, I'm certainly biased against IMF because IMF have never reco- helped country recover from the loans. They will keep on pushing. They will try to impose their own things, And they will keep on giving loans. Like in Turkey right now, I think the currency has deflated like 5% per day in a few days. Like think about 5% per day. Uh, this is a disaster for the government. And if the people start taking refuge in, in US dollar, you know, it becomes more. So if Bitcoin become a standard and... You know, hypothetically, every country in the world says, okay, every citizen believes that Bitcoin is my digital gold. Then, you know, we have a new standard and it will affect all the governments. And whenever I listen from these old, uh, uh, you know, like status quo that this is a threat, it doesn't have a value. What does the US dollar is backed by? You know, it's not backed by anything. And 99% of the people right now will think that it's backed by gold. If you ask an every person on the street, it's like saying uh, the bank of like, no you know, so, so head of and Medellin industry of New York says, oh, I am i don't think so, Uber is going to work. Or head of Marriott saying that, oh, you know, Airbnb is not the right way. In the past, what used to happen was that banks had the power to dictate the terms. Now, it's not the case anymore. Coinbase can pretty much go there and buy any kind of a bank and just shut it down tomorrow and we're not even <laughs> hurt them. Um, you can launch a DeFi protocol and it will have a uh, locked value of $1 billion, which is, I think, 98% of the banks in America do not have $1 billion in deposits. It's a time for them to be scared. So they have two options, either get destroyed or join the party.
0: Well, there you go. That's pretty pretty blunt. Uh, Kai, I think it's time for some honorable mentions.
4: Yeah, so
1: you know, here are a few stories we didn't have time to, to cover, but deserve a shout-out. First, iconic Los Angeles venue, Staples Center, gets a new name. You know, we now have crypto.com arena, uh, which I believe will be unveiled on Christmas Day. And so crypto.com founders, uh, Chris Marzalek uh, says, you know, the city of Los Angeles and the people who call it home have always been pioneers, you know, pushing the boundaries and innovating. And you know, it makes a lot of sense for you know crypto.com, you know, to really you know sponsor this property and and have this as a way that mainstream customers get introduced. So excited to see all of the sponsorship battles between large exchanges.
0: Indeed. This story from the BBC, NFT is now, or non-fungible token, is in the Collins Dictionary Word of the Year. The use of the abbreviation rose by more than 11,000% in the past year, um, and it's unusual for an abbreviation to experience such a massive rise. Um, They also say whether the NFT uh, will have a lasting influence is yet to be determined, but this is one of the most sudden rises of a word we've ever seen. Other words include climate anxiety, neo-pronoun, chuggy, a slang term used to describe and uh, dismiss uh, anything seen as hopelessly uncool or unfashionable, like me trying to pronounce it. Okay, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Technically, it's Tweet of the Month these days, but we still like that sound clip from, from Petrit from back in the day. So, shout out to Petrit, um, who's doing amazing things in sports and crypto right now. Um, On to our last segment. Um, the Tweet of the Week comes from John Hillis, who says 95% of NFTs are money grabs, jokes, and experiments that will collectively be worth $0. The other 5% will create a composable layer of ownership that shapes the future. Kai, I know you're pretty passionate about NFTs, so I'm sorry I have to throw this one to you. What do you stand on this one?
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think there's just there's gonna be an infinite supply of NFTs. You know, as the the cost to create them you know trends down, you know there will be I would expect billions of NFTs, and and it's impossible for all of them to have value. And I don't think the purpose is for all of them to have value. And so I think as a primitive, there are a lot of things that you can do. Uh, there will be a few that have some historical meaning. You know, just like of all the art that's created, only a small amount of it you know, has real value. But I think that that's okay. And it's just you know, having people understand that going in and not expecting you know, these to be financial assets that are all going to go up and-
0: Amber, thoughts on this one?
3: That the value of art is purely monetary is, I just think,
2: a fallacy.
0: Ooh, great sentence. Um, Kai is nodding. Uh, listeners, you can't see that. Curtis, thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah, this just about trends with a percentage of startup success, doesn't it?
0: uh ultimately i would say experiments should be in the five percent oh interesting and then a composable layer of ownership curtis any any thoughts on on the meaning of that do you want to unpack that yeah
2: uh stuff we own isn't going to stay in the real world for only for very much longer uh so you know that composable layer of ownership is something we should all be watching and, and getting really excited about
0: here see any last thoughts
4: uh, i think nft would be like probably like 2017 ICO crash. Where some of most ninety nine percent will lose their value, and then one the person will cover up for all the gains. Mm. I think the cost of uh, having NFT right now. Everyone is buying NFT to flip it. Uh, so it's like theory of greater fool, you know. But some of them are actually really good. You know, you want a piece of part. Like if Bible was digital, who wouldn't want to keep a copy of it, like original one? And I think the the biggest thing is royalties because you can actually tokenize a specific asset and we sell it to multiple people uh that wasn't possible before
0: art with functionality art with royalties baked in every time it's transacted yeah that's super exciting uh well that wraps up this week's news show thank you so much to all of our guests always plenty of news um curtis where can people find out more about you and more about kraken
2: yeah, Kraken's uh, at KrakenFX, uh, Twitter, and um, look out for new things that we'll be launching very soon. Pretty exciting stuff, all going to be on
4: blog.kraken.com.
0: Ooh, foreshadowy. I like it. Uh, Amber, how about you?
3: Sure. Clover's at Clover, C L O V Y R dot I O, and our beta, which is VS Code in the browser, uh, running in some interesting privacy preserving ways, is at Clover.app.
4: <laughs> interesting. Haseeb? If E F A N I dot com, Edith is to type. Secure mobile service that we are like number one.
0: Oh, that that's some good uh, SEO right there, uh, Kai. How about you?
1: On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and visacom crypto
0: you can find me at sytaylor on Twitter or simon11fs.com or just check out 11fs.com. Uh, if you like this show, remember to go ahead and subscribe. Uh, remember to leave us a review. It helps us out massively. Uh, and send us an email, podcast at 11fs.com if you have any comments, suggestions, queries, guest ideas. What do you want to hear about? What do you want to know more about? Uh, thank you so much. Bye for now.